will fix you. Good evening. Welcome to We Will Fix You, the show that fixes you. Today, fixing you crouched in the overgrown former laybys on the outskirts of Chiswick, feeling the power surge through us as we recharge our energies and engines. And if you'd like some of that good stuff, get in touch at wewillfixyoushow at gmail.com. Fizzing, positively, spiritually fizzing with me this evening. You will find Miss Lucy Boys, the ecumenical patriarch of those goats that live in the alley behind the studio. Meh! Myself, Roger Hart, that guy off that thing that time. And Dave Convery, designer of the 25-meter swimming badge. Good evening. Hello. <laughs> Today's question is, um, is in fact excerpted from a blog post written by an associate of ours who, uh, invited us at his peril to extract a question from it, which, which I have done somewhat clumsily. We will link to it, that you might enjoy it in full, for its words are sturdy and good. Although not in the form of a question, so we are inherently confused by it. Mm. He wrote, and he wrote many other words than this, but here are some of them. While I recognise that I'm anxious in lots of scenarios, I've essentially worked around those situations such that I can function outwardly normally. I can bring myself to make phone calls after suitable preparation. I can occasionally start conversations with people and in some rare cases even something approximating chit-chat. I can go on trips with only a mediocre amount of planning in terms of exactly how to get there, where to park, and lots of contingency planning. Since there has never been anything important that I just couldn't do at a push, I would have said that no, I, I don't have real anxiety. But situations have come along that start to make me take it more seriously. For instance, a recent blog post on the topic has taken over eight weeks. Thinking about booking some time off work actually frightens and upsets me. Perhaps I do some, have some kind of more serious low-level chronic anxiety. What could I do, and how could we spread a small amount of understanding that if you feel like this, you're not alone? And the original thing was a sort of a, one of those gutsy, sort of take some take some doing to write posts that uh, that really pointed to um, some of the issues and called out that whole feeling of what if this just isn't normal? I I thought it was it was a good one of those. Mm. Who would care to begin? I have some thoughts on the matter. Delicious. Mm. Well, so first of all, before I kind of go into my main thesis, I want to deconstruct the question a little bit. So the um, the questioner asks, what is, you know, I would always say that I've not had real anxiety, but my question is, what is real when it comes to mental illness? And I suppose for me it is, it is multiple axes, one of which is definitely quality of life as well as just raw ability to function. I mean, I can personally be comparatively extremely high functioning in the scope of the entire world and still feel that my whole entire existence is broadly lousy. I think the idea that just because you can do all the stuff that you need to do there's nothing wrong with you is sort of fundamentally a trap and I would kind of encourage people to examine not just what you can when you push yourself but how good is it feeling how much of the time. Hmm. So we've got we've got two questions we've got what can I do and we've got how can I make other people understand. What can I do multiple pronged approaches. So you have the option of treating it like a medical issue because in some sense it is a medical issue. There is some biological stuff going on and society as a whole has decided to categorize it as a disease. 
Now, you want gold standard medical treatment for your thing, you look to the National Institute for Clinical Excellence, or NICE, although for some reason in my head it is NICE, like the biscuits, hmm. although it is almost certainly not intended to be. That is, let's just call it a symptom. Okay. Um, the sort of gold standard quality statements for anxiety treatment in this country are that people who are suspected to have an anxiety disorder will receive an assessment that identifies whether they have any specific kind of anxiety because this tackles there are multiple different diagnoses you can have social anxiety you can have generalized anxiety you can have kind of phobic and panic related Mm -hmm. conditions and if they do have one how severe are the symptoms and what is the kind of functional impairment therefore then The second statement is that people with anxiety disorders will be offered evidence-based psychological interventions. Uh, People with anxiety disorders won't be prescribed medications that are no longer considered good for long-term anxiety management. That includes uh, benzodiazepines or antipsychotics, unless they're specifically indicated in an individual person's case. And the fourth statement is that people who are receiving treatment for anxiety will have their response to treatment recorded at each session. That all sounds like good stuff. That is the gold standard. What I would say from personal experience is that gold standard care is extremely hard to come by in an NHS that has been thoroughly Jeremy hunted. Um, Indeed. So a lot of it is going to be you take what you can get and you're betting to some extent on how good your local services are. I mean, so I've read the NICE guidelines for quite a lot of different conditions and all of them go into much more detail and rigour than any sort of treatment or medical interaction I've ever had has actually done. I think it's more like this is all the really nice stuff in theory, but in clinical practice you've got to cut some of these corners. I think something else that's probably worth pointing out at this juncture is that the current sort of global and political situation seems to have woken up a lot of people to their level of anxiety more in that it's being triggered more often they're feeling anxious more of the time so i think services i don't have data on this but i think services are probably going to be comparably strained at the moment that seems fully plausible a lot of people are quite frightened um you know i would guess the sort of waiting times may be comparable to the queue for an irish passport right now Mm. you may have to prepare to be brushed off or to have what feels like a fight to be taken seriously. Um, This is depressingly the case with a lot of mental health care. Yes. And one of the other problems is that yes, you might encounter bad GPs, but also the thing that is wrong with you is going to make it hard to realistically assess how helpful an individual doctor has been to speak up if you think they're being unhelpful and to do sort of other more assertive things like getting second opinions. Mm. All of that is harder if you're anxious to begin with. Like seeing a doctor in the first place is hard if you're anxious to begin with. (sighs) Um, so if you again if we're following these nice guidelines the official care pathway for anxiety is first of all you identify the issue and monitor it see if it's just a one off thing and it goes away on its own assuming it doesn't and probably by the time you've hit treatment it won't and that gap is agonising but Mm. they have to do it they will usually refer you to some kind of low intensity psychological intervention that you can do mostly on your own so that might be a workbook with occasional sort of short phone calls from a therapist that might be sort of online cbt kind of tools those are becoming more and more popular if that doesn't help then you get the high intensity psychological treatment which is the famous six to twelve sessions of cbt usually um you may also be offered medication at this point usual sort of treatment of long-term anxiety medication will be an SSRI or an SNRI, which are kind of similar classes. It's the one that Prozac is one of, the ones that are modern that you've heard of. Some people find them really helpful basically almost immediately, like I took this pill and I didn't know my life could feel so much different. That is definitely an experience I've heard. Some people never find them that helpful but don't experience significant bad effects. 
some people get temporary or long-term side effects that can be quite bad. Mm. And the really fun thing is that if you also have mood stuff going on and it turns out you're secretly bipolar, they have the possibility of switching you into a manic episode, which if you're not expecting that, is quite frightening. Yeah. That's not going to be fun. No, and it's one of those things where it's rare enough that a lot of the time doctors don't think very hard before they chuck those drugs mm. at you. So if there's any family history, you've ever had any doubts yourself, be careful if you're offered one of those. Something I've found kind of more useful than long-term anxiety medical medication treatment myself is actually having a short-term fix in my pocket if I need one. So a beta blocker is a great thing if you either have a daunting thing to do or you realise that you're kind of freaking out in the moment just knowing that there's a quick, relatively safe, mostly physical come down type mm. thing available. I mean, they act on the stress production hormones. You feel physically less stressed, your blood pressure goes down. It doesn't help with the mental doom cycle exactly, but sometimes if you can kind of kick yourself out of the physical, that's useful. Yeah, I, I often get into ridiculous sort of overthinking spirals mm. and distraction. So it, it's because I, my issues are comparatively low level. But I, if I can get and stay distracted out of it long enough to get out of the loop, mm -hmm. the sort of the spiral dive thing where you just can't quite. Yeah, the stuck recursive if, thinking. If something can, can just boot me out of that, it's often a useful reset. Yes, and a beta blocker is one of those options. Mm -hmm. I will get onto other options that aren't drugs for that mm -hmm. later. If none of those things work, the next step is usually either that or you're super low functioning, or there's a concern that you're going to hurt yourself then you get kind of more targeted interventions. You might see a psychiatrist, you might try multiple drugs at the same time, you might get more kind of escalated interventions in terms of mental health teams and crisis services. Outpatient, inpatient, if it's really bad, these are all options. Yeah. But I would say the majority of people experiencing anxiety in this country probably won't get near to that point. So don't worry if that made you feel more frightened. Mm. The other option, if you don't want to go down the medical route or if you want to pursue this at the same time, is that if you would find it useful to do stuff on your own, that's totally fine. And the fact that it is considered a medical condition that is medical treatment doesn't mean that there isn't stuff that you can do on your own if that's your preference or if you want to kind of augment it. This is, this is useful as well because um, one of the things that makes, that I, I certainly struggle with is having to interface with the bureaucracy I don't understand. So you, it would never have occurred to me to go and read the nice guidelines or look at the entire pathway, but mm. actually having heard a bit about that, that would make me feel less anxious about going into that treatment mechanism. Yeah. And they have if you don't to, have to make a phone call to do so. Mm. And actually, it's a, the, the NICE website is really good. They have that for pretty much any disease you could happen to have or think mm. you might have. So you can go and look at what the sort of clinically proven gold standard of care for the thing that is wrong with you is and just weep at the disparity between that and what you actually get. Um, so in terms of stuff that's not a doctor or a pill, um, the Anxiety and Phobia Workbook, which I will get us a link to in the show notes, has been just repeatedly recommended by anxious people. It's sort of a CBT-based, focused set of exercises that you take yourself through. If, so if, if the idea of sitting on your own with a book and a pencil is more appealing than the idea of talking to someone about it or doing yes. a computer thing, have a look at that book. If you are a semi-fancy employed person, there may be resources that your employer has, so you might have access to an employee assistance program. They can usually hook you up with um, multiple sessions of free counselling for various issues. Um, also, if your issue is work-related or work is making it worse, you might have occupational health options. Mm -hmm. 
I think the only thing to say there is that employers are kind of like doctors in the sense that it's an authority figure and your comfort around disclosure might vary and we are not actually in the bright shiny world where you can be open about everything and there's no stigma I know a lot of people like to think and project like that's true but it kind of isn't really true sometimes you can be lucky but that's definitely not the norm yes so it's, it's also really hard with anxiety because it's hard to know when is actually safe to talk to someone and when is my brain telling me it's not safe even though it actually might be. So that's another minefield to navigate. I mean, only you know your own comfort levels, only you know the people around you. You're the best person to make that call, but your brain might be making it harder for you. If you can afford it, and even if you can't sometimes with sliding scales, private therapy is an option. It's, I mean, in the area we're in, it's about 40 quid an hour usually, and you can do that. You don't have to do it every week. You can do it every fortnight or more often as sort of as your budget and mental processes allow. It can be more sort of discursive and person focused than CBT, which can be good or bad kind of depending on what you're into. So the thing I found useful is that there's much more opportunity to talk about the kind of why am I like this Mm. early life family origin trauma type stuff that you don't really get to with CBT because CBT is all about identify the behaviours, fix the behaviours. So if you're a kind of person who needs some whys as well as some practical solutions, that can be really useful. You're in control as a consumer as well. You're paying for the time. You get to say how much of it you want, how often you want it. You get to use it the way that you want to. That can be very sort of agency giving for some people. Um, And kind of on a political note, I mean, state or employer-sponsored therapy to me sometimes feels a bit like we're reprogramming you so that you can be a productive drone under capitalism. There's something liberating about no, I'm paying for this myself because I'm doing it for me. I'm not doing it so that I can be a more productive worker. Other than kind of specific focused interventions, you can also do a bunch of different stuff that might feel helpful to you in terms of broad spectrum relaxation self-care type stuff. Maybe that's small personal indulgences. Maybe that's massage, being in or near water. You might want some nice stinky incense. Like The stuff that makes you feel good, makes you feel relaxed, figure out what that is, do it more often. Cheese. Cheese. Cheese is a powerful depressant and antidepressant, depending on how it's wielded. It's definitely hard to move in an anxious fashion when you filled yourself with cheese. Yes, that's true. It slows you down. Yeah. Cheese is the great slower. They do say that. Yeah, of the arteries. We'll make them. I hate to be the person to bring this up, but exercise. I fucking hate it myself. And actually the thing that I've had to figure out is why that was and what might work instead. So for me, I can't really handle cardio, both for joint pain reasons and because I have a lot of anxiety around breathing, it turns out. I didn't know that was a thing, but that's a thing. The idea of sort of having to breathe in a specific way to make your body keep doing a thing makes me feel quite panicky and that's sort of counterproductive to what we're doing here so what I find useful is lifting weights until I can't really feel my arms anymore that's nice and it kind of focuses you on your body and it's actually pretty good for diffusing a panic attack if you feel yourself in the doom spiral of oh god can't breathe going to die going to go insane also going to die if you can identify that and you can redirect some of that energy to doing something that is just purely physical that's really helpful there's a sort of technique perfectionism thing that may appeal to some people as well with, with weightlifting. Mm. It can get quite technical, it can get quite fastidious. Yes, I mean, I'm finding it massively good also for just improving my posture while mm. I'm oh, doing gosh, it. Yes. I want yeah. to pull everything up and in so that I'm getting better form because it just feels better to do that way. Then until you get to, again, there's something you can do on your own, until you get to really quite heavy weights, it's, you're not really going to injure yourself very badly. Yeah. 
follow some sensible advice, get some, watch some, maybe watch some good YouTube tutorials. But and you can do it in the home. You don't have to go to a gym. You don't have to go out of your house. I mean, I, I don't do anything huge. I keep like a two and a half kilo dumbbell around and just do sort of low weight, lots of reps mm. rather than the other way around. And I think this is really one of those things where people, you just have to think about you. You can't take the received wisdom. Some people find a specific goal, like a 10K or a marathon training, helps them with focus. And that's like the right amount of exercise for them. Some people prefer kind of in the moment or low intensity. So if there's like, you know, if you like kind of walking and rambling and being in nature, that's good. If there's sort of fun exercise, you know, if you've got kids, you can play games or go swimming or anything that doesn't make it feel like work, but still gets you moving yourself and thinking about something else. That's good. If you don't want to talk about it to another person, you've got other options. There is stuff like you can blog about it. You can do your own personal journaling, kind of creative nonfiction. There's also online options places like um seven cups of tea and various other sites that do online therapy you just type out all your stuff and a nice but non-professional person on the other end says reassuring stuff i guess i don't know i've never tried it but people don't know it's good yeah basically anything that gets you out of your own head and doing something else so those are the practical recommendations for how to fix it that was powerful and advicular mm. i enjoyed it will i enjoy this i wonder Mr. Confrey. I'll try and make it as, as pleasing as possible, although I warn you now it does include philosophy. We will permit it. Hello, my name's Dave and I suffer from agoraphobia, which is an anxiety disorder. Here are some of the things that I do to look after myself. As, as anxiety disorders go, it's a fairly mild one. It doesn't really cause me any problems, but I do spend a lot of time on the London Underground keenly aware of my spiralling heart rate and the fact that I am a foot taller than most people on there and the fact that if I need to make my way out I'm probably going to beat someone to death. So I try and keep the whole thing under control. I wouldn't go shopping with you on a Sunday again, no, certainly not. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. It's not a good time. No. I'm going to sort of... You mentioned CBT and mm. there are a whole bunch of CBT exercises that you can do um, that lead into lead into what I what I want to, to look at. Albert Ellis, who's sort of the father of modern CBT and what he called rational emotional uh, rational emotive behavior therapy, uh, had an exercise for people with social anxiety called the subway station exercise, where you would get onto the train and you would watch where you were on the line and you'd go by, and first of all, quietly, you would say the name of the stations you drew in. And then further and further, uh, you went along the line until you either couldn't stand it or you, you felt like you'd achieved something. Mm. You would just say it slightly louder, look to see what people's reactions are. For the most part, no one's really gonna do anything. And the idea is that you do things that make you feel socially awkward, like being the crazy person talking on the train. Mm and see that there is no negative consequence or very little mm. negative consequence to those to drive home the fact that your anxiety for the most part is not going to be based in anything rational. The world does not implode. You do not go insane and die. Exactly. Um, and I think that approach um, in a bunch of ways is, is very useful for managing anxiety. I, I'm, I'm going to refer to the, the approach as sort of secular stoicism because it takes a chunk of the, the sort of stoic notion, and I mean stoic in the sense of Zeno, Citium, not stoic of 
someone who sits there and doesn't say anything. Mm. Um, you can do both, though. You've got range. You can do both, and Don't I do. Specifically. Yes. Yeah. Basically, this, this is going to be a very quick and reductive look at the notion of stoicism, but we're going for a quick and actionable, practical thing here. Um, the, the core idea, for our purposes, is that tranquility is more useful than happiness in ensuring that you have a high quality of life. And in Stoicism, you examine negativity, anxiety, fear, and you give them their proper place by sounding out rationally what is actually going to happen. So, uh, as, as we often do on the show, I'm going to quote from Marcus Aurelius. Mm. Uh, Things do not touch the soul. Our perturbations come only from the opinion which is within. Meaning that the outside event, whatever triggers your anxiety, whatever bad thing you think is going to happen, has no inherent value, only the way that you frame it. So this is something called the premeditation of evils, or in modern parlance, what's the worst that can happen? So the idea is that optimism requires constant maintenance. You have to think that everything's going to be okay, everything's going to be brilliant, and, and All the time. it's not. Bad, bad things are going to happen. That's, that's reality. If you are worried and you talk to people who seek to reassure you, that is confirmation that the bad thing is catastrophic. Feeding the beast. Exactly. So if people, if people tell you, no, that's not going to happen, it might happen, but it's better to examine rationally how bad it would be, what impact it would have, rather than say, oh God, it can't happen, and have other people tell you, oh God, no, but it won't happen, but don't worry, but it won't happen. I mean, if it did happen, I think I fucked you'd be as well. Picture and confront the worst, the worst case scenario. So for example, the, the example you gave was booking travel. What's the worst case scenario if you book some travel and it's not the right thing? Uh, death, bodily disintegration, loss of your most important and hard to replace personal possessions. Uh, that's extremely unlikely though, isn't it? Extremely unlikely. So, the vast spectrum of what's the worst that can happen or what are the bad things the negative things that can happen are you will have a shitty time and you'll be out some money the train will smell of urine the coffee will be bad that's just a that's just a fact that's going to happen yeah but the vast majority of things that you can picture for this if you sort of actually engage properly properly engage with the idea are not that bad like having a bad holiday is not going to bankrupt you. You will be able to feed your children. You will survive. You won't be destitute. Unless you're going to feed them on the holiday and it was bad because there wasn't any food. If your entire plan is to like raid the Thompson Holidays buffet for mm. the rest of the year, if you are seeking to fatten your children to their detriment but to your financial gain Possibly at a small hotel in Ibiza... It's up to you. ...then... Yes, that is bad, but still, you can probably just feel to feed them boiled onions or something. It's not the end of the world. Your children will smell bad. Cheap and nutritious. Yeah. Children or...? No boiled onions. Okay. So for things that cause you specific anxiety, you can, you can examine them in this way, and you can always find that you can weather whatever you, whatever's going to happen. If you take a a trip and you can't find somewhere to park you'll drive somewhere nearby park there and walk it's not oh god parking anxiety is really bad though I, yeah, I well, mean you guys don't have engage. large vehicles but read Marcus Aurelius and then think about parking I just I just go safe every time I know where's safe and I know where's not and I don't chance it if that's how you manage it then by 
endlessly restricting what I will and won't do. Well, maybe, 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 you need to, maybe you need to start rationally examining the problem. But the, the travel thing in particular sounds like um, fear of missing out. This mm. sort of particularly modern anxiety disorder, social, social disorder. The um, FOMO, as children call the it. The FOMO. And just remember that, that you don't have to compare to people in that way. If you do something that you enjoy that isn't what someone else does, you can still examine that. And you don't say, have to go on a hen night and put 15 photos on Facebook if that's not your jam. You don't. You don't at all. You don't have to do that. Society's awful. Yeah, Most God. of the things other people like are terrible. You don't, you don't miss out. And I think if you sit and you sort of stare at it rationally, it's not going to be a fun time, mm. but you can always examine the things that you are afraid of and with a little help from Marcus Aurelius, you'll get through it. He was the nice guy from the beginning of Gladiator that Joaquin Phoenix killed, so you know, like, he's Richard Harris, he can't be that bad. Oh, if Joaquin Phoenix killed him. Yeah. Yeah, he must be good. He must be. Yeah. It's, um, it's worth pointing out also that um, Marcus Aurelius is a, uh, a fine-tasting, um, strong old ale brewed by Milton Brewery, weighs in about 7 or 8%. I find that helps me manage my anxiety quite well. If you're local, give it a try. So I might just have advocated problem drinking. Maybe don't do that. I mean, I do that as well. I don't, but my quality of life has actually worse since I stopped. So take that with a pinch of salt. In in defence of my method here as well, I'm an extraordinarily placid individual for the most part. Even when roused by liquor. Yeah. Spirituous liquor. Yeah. So there must be something going on. Your contemplative approach... Well, I'm not going to argue with what works for you. I think there's something in the stoicism angle. I think for some of my issues, that could trigger some of the spirally overcompensate contemplation behaviours. But, well, it's about finding the thing that works for you. Pick a thing and give it a go. Something I find myself thinking about quite a lot in business is actually stated risk management. Two drums I bang quite a lot of be deliberate and show you're working. It's okay to engage in a project that's risky so long as those risks are acknowledged and you've thought about mitigation. That's, that's being deliberate and having mm. working to show. And that does apply to other things in your life. So it's not quite, for me, it's not what's the worst that could happen. Well, it is. This is the worst thing that could happen. And it is mitigatable in this way, and that's okay. Kind of works sometimes. Yeah. Yes, um, that's, that's one thing that is very important. When people are thinking about, in an anxious frame of mind, thinking about things that can go wrong it's pretty rare that they imagine themselves to have agency. It's always Mm. important to remember that you do have agency and that you can act. It is not just a cascade of things that will happen. That's one of the reasons that sort of focusing on it is important because you will think about how you can react. Yes, I mean, one of the things that I was going to come to a little bit later is the fact that to some extent anxiety is your brain telling you something's an emergency right now and it's up to you to decide how true that actually is. There's There's something else I think your brain does for you when you're anxious, which um, touches slightly on the helping people understand, mm. but also the this isn't normal thing, which is, um, it's okay to be anxious, right? Like, people who aren't anxious all the time... What is wrong with them? ...have either made a demonic pact and have bigger problems coming down the line, or they go home at night and cry-wank over Milton Friedman's Sarah Palin slash fic, or, I don't know, found one of those really obnoxious religions where they think they get to tell other people how to behave. Being anxious is like this constant reminder that you're not one of those self-conscious, confident bellends who thinks they're right and end up ruining the world. It's like a little shoulder angel check on tyranny. I think of all those people you've ever met 
who you've thought, damn, you'd be better if you were more anxious. You would be yeah. making better decisions and saying less stupid things less frequently. And I'm not claiming that an anxiety disorder or even just gentle low level anxiety is going to help you make better decisions, but it's probably going to be a useful check on being a thunderous cunt. Mm. The people for whom this, these mechanisms are broken have got us into this messed up world where we are, and they tend towards being entitled, inconsiderate, being convinced that they're right, imagining, confusing their privilege with their competence, mm. all, all, of these, all of these things. Being a bit anxious, I think, is quite a good thing. I think we kind of take it back a bit. So my solution to this problem is not a solution to this problem at all. I have a very simple proposal, which is I think we need a public information campaign to promote the goods of anxiety. Mm. I mean, yeah, yes, the, yes, it can. I'm not, I'm not downplaying that it can be tremendously debilitating. Sometimes it gets shit done and sometimes it really doesn't. Yeah. But I think there's a good side to it and I think we should celebrate healthy anxiety. And I think in particular we should turn the tables a little and what I want to see is more shame for people that have none. That's, that's what I'm looking for here. So I've prepared a few little, uh, little snippets that we could use in some informational broadcasts. Right. Now I don't really have the visuals to hand, I would, but um, it's going to sort of. These are just some things I've been spitballing. You can imagine a scene, perhaps over a boardroom, and it might voice over something like, "Look at Bob. Today, Bob assumed his success meant he was competent and made a, a gut feel decision in a sales meeting. But Bob goes home at night and fucks captive toucans. Don't be like Bob. Be anxious." I mean, I wouldn't fuck a bird. The risk of zoonosis is huge. Yeah. So we could start with it. Particularly at the moment. Yeah. Or, you know, we, we might picture a separate scene. A lot of these are in a business setting, but I think it's where you see some of the worst of the dickery. But this is totally portable out to politics or religion or what you will. Avalard is a serious executive. Last week he fired an entire business function because it fit his vision and felt right. Avalard is confident. He's a thought leader. Avalard makes decisions. Avalard knows he's right. When the revolution comes, Abelard will be used as a bucket by tape ears. You know, just just taking a different angle there. Let's let's get us started. Mm. Millicent here likes to give advice. This is you know this is a slightly slightly different set of pathologies we're going to cover. I thought this one could go out on Radio Four. Well, I mean, we like to give advice, so be careful. Mm. We are required to by law and magic. Yeah. Millicent likes to give advice. Come to her with a problem, she'll tell you a story about how a thing from her past is somehow relevant to what you should do. Oh, it doesn't matter what the problem is. Millicent has a self-aggrandizing anecdote justified by the fact that later she got filthy rich. Millicent is the face of certainty. Millicent is never anxious. We can't prove that Millicent can only achieve arousal by, by molesting endangered tree frogs, but we wouldn't be surprised now, would we? It's the suction of their feet really does it for her. Or consider the tale of young Frontispiece. Frontispiece lives without anxiety. Frontispiece thinks political correctness has gotten out of hand and people need to learn to take a joke. Frontispiece has opinions about safe spaces. Frontispiece has never thought for more than 20 seconds about any opinion he's ever expressed. Frontispiece is a cunt. So with a, with a series of kind of informational campaigns like this against pathologically low anxiety living. I feel we could kind of re-even things, balance it up a bit, and kind of create a bit more space for the gently anxious to feel like they were less out of place and in fact potentially had something to really contribute. 
I think there's also a beautiful possibility of a mishmash between your two approaches, whereby your informational statements are used on a sort of underground subway campaign, and you can practice saying them out loud from station to station. Not the David Bowie album, the physical act of going from one train station to another one while you're on a train. Yes. I don't, I don't have social anxiety, so that, that's less for me. I, I have not pushing people under the tracks anxiety. But I could, for example, if I wanted to control that, stand next to people and say, I have chosen not to murder you. Mm. That would be that's a good an exercise I could, for, I could perform. For social anxiety as well, I think. Magnify your agency. I like it. I like it when we can combine things. Mm. So I think the part of the question we haven't tackled is... We've dealt pretty well with what can I do, but the other part was what can I do to make people understand? What can I do to make people feel less alone? So I've sort of, again, kind of gone with a broadly deconstructive approach to this. It it really depends what you mean by understanding. So personally, I've never found the sort of broad spectrum raising awareness to be all that meaningful, but I know that a lot of individuals do find talking about their experiences publicly and having that well received actually very helpful um i mean presumably they weren't brought up being told that if you just ignored the problem it would go away and we can't possibly ever acknowledge it so they may have fewer like internal barriers and stuff but yeah yeah, it seems to be like for example i have no issue at all saying that this is something that i suffer from but I'm not suffering from the same the same you know part of that spectrum of anxiety sure. or issues that means that I'm inherently blocked in the first place. Yes. I mean, fuck what you think. Which is great for blogging. Yeah, and doing it's the podcasts. Whole point of blogging and doing podcasts. You could be a thought leader. I don't give a fuck. That's being a thought leader. Okay. I think it too, and I'm following you. Um, I think also there's we've got this really really unhelpful cultural idea that you can that all you need to do is ask for help and that's going to fix all your problems. That's the sort of, the tone of the message a lot of the time is get the conversation started, talk about it, ask for help. As though help is a one-size-fits-all concept, as though it's actually available, as though it's actually helpful, as though asking is easy and there's someone obvious to ask in your situation. I mean... None of these things are true. From grisly personal experience, it is possible to ask for help in a variety of ways for like 15 or more years and still not feel like you've actually been helped all that much. I'm clearly still angry about this. I think also in terms of... There's, there's, there's understanding which is I need you to understand so that you can help me and that tends to come in two ways there is, there is please listen to my experience because it will help you know why I and sometimes other people behave in certain ways in response to certain situations and there's also the kind of the one that I see is more sort of actually anxiety symptomatic which is please listen to my experience and then I want you to bend yourself into a pretzel to take into account my extraordinarily specific needs there are some things that are reasonable to ask for as accommodations, but it can be a problem with anxiety that your brain feels like you want a lot of extremely specific stuff that's not really practical for the world to give you. I mean, I've spent huge amounts of my life thinking how great it would be if the world would take care of my needs because I look around and I see other people for whom the world seems broadly sympathetic and that is just not a thing I've ever felt. I've never felt like any of this was made for me and yet other people do seem to just kind of glide through it seamlessly. So clearly there's... It's possible for some people but that's not because they've had it all twisted around to meet their internal needs. It's because they happen to be plopped out in the shape that was right for the path that they're on, I think. Or a sort of slow twisting. You know, I enjoy the phenomenal privilege of being a middle-class white man so Mm. quite a lot of the world does fit my specific needs. 
I didn't make it do that myself, but people like me shaped it that way using their power and privilege over time. Sure. I think kind of fixating on all the ways in which you think you might feel better if only the whole world would understand you on the extraordinarily granular level is just a time sink. It amounts to a lot of time where you've basically been thinking, but this is so unfair. And that, I mean, that for me with mental illness is a huge, huge trap because it totally stops you from doing anything about it. You can sit for years in, this isn't fair. Why should I have to fix it? Why can't the world fix it for me? And just, you're just burning that time. You're not actually doing anything about it. I guess in terms of understanding from other people, there are always going to be people who don't get it immediately and those fall into two types you've got your kind of fundamentally benign or well-meaning but just kind of either blisteringly low empathy low imagination or just never been near enough the problem to think about it as a problem some of those are fixable you might need time and patience and explanation they might never get it but if you can talk about your cues and give them gentle reminders about kind of small and more accommodating stuff you might need sometimes they can learn to work with you the other people are just plain fucking boundary tramplers. They will never get it. They will never try to get it. And they will take more from you than you will ever want to give. I think my best advice for that one is something that a lot of the advice columnists I read give, which is that if you feel awkward asking someone to stop doing something that's making you feel uncomfortable because it's awkward to bring attention to that, it is that person who already made it awkward by making you feel that way. You're not actually being any more awkward yourself by bringing it up. You're just addressing an awkwardness that was already created. It's not like it only became real when you complained about it. Mm. It was real mm. the moment that the problem came up. And that's a big thing that people need to know. <sighs> Absolutely. The most important things to think about in terms of getting other people to understand. What do you actually need? Which is reasonable to ask for? And if you don't trust your own judgment because your internal brain noise is telling you it's lots of stuff that seems like quite a lot, you can run that past someone who you do trust. What of that can you ask from people who you consider safe? And remember that all of this stuff is probably going to make you feel anxious to think about anyway. These are not easy things to manage and the thing that is wrong with you is going to make them worse. And I, I mean, think about what, what does understanding mean to you if it is everybody in the world finally getting it and not yelling in public or controlling their horrifying noises or respecting my giant bubble of personal space or stopping fucking phoning me realistically that's probably not going to happen you're going to have to learn how to deal with some of that but you can think about what things are most within your control to change and small and safe enough that you feel like you could make a start on them you know people talk about support like help again like it's a one-size-fits-all thing just like oh there's support available okay what the fuck does that mean what kind of support would actually help you as a specific individual. Spend some time with that and you will probably make some more progress, maybe. Well, we've um, we've been to anxiety a little, I feel. I feel oddly nervous about it. Hmm, tremulous. I gave it serious thought and I feel quite calm. Good job. I think I might call some people a cunt. We've learned nothing. Don't go and take a little Valium snooze, it'll be fine. It's nice, it's like you're floating like two millimetres above the bed. To the snoozing. Mm, not quite asleep, but sort of. And if, when you wake, you should find yourself still vexed, remember, we can't get into your bedroom unless you let us. And also you can contact us at we will fix you shows at gmail.com.